in an early apology from me because, of course, many of you will be tuning in to hear Hugh Carhill's dulcet tones. But unfortunately for everyone, he is off ill this week. He's sick, poorly sick. Uh, Get well soon, Hugh. I know you'll be listening. Uh, But instead, I am in the hot seat today. But to bring a bit of normal to the show, I am, of course, joined by the usual boys. And before we say hello to them, I want to give a quick push to the Grow Your Raw for Cheltenham promotion that Betfair have on at the moment. Bet £20 on horse racing in the week on the sportsbook or the exchange, and they will add £10 to your Cheltenham free bet pot. T's and C's apply. The free bet will be credited on the 14th of March, so you will be ready to roar at Cheltenham. And that's all you could wish for, isn't it? A free bet, and that can build towards £30 worth of three bets ahead of the week. So get stuck into that. But without further ado, let's say hello to the boys. Uh, Kevin, I hear, according to Google, you're a leading authority on horse racing in Ireland. How do you feel about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that was a bit cherry pick, Vanessa. Uh, and I have, I have to say, with, with the quantity of that intro, we'll have to, we'll have to send Hugh Cal back to the two Johnnies. And uh, you, you could never pull it off better than that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Good start. Good start for Vanessa. Uh, Tony, we were omitted from a bit of mudslinging in a national paper this weekend. How do you feel? I, I was absolutely gutted not to be involved. Typical Irish racism. For this. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> crazy. I'll tell you what, old five take Carhill would be absolutely devastated when he found <laughs> nailed that in one. <laughs> look, look, he's not even here to fight his corner to defend himself. So we'll, we'll, get, we'll go quietly on him today. Um, we're going to abandon looking back at the weekend that just was because it was quite a quiet weekend on the racing front and we've got a few questions to throw in anyway. So we're going to kick straight on to the next section, footsteps of the festival. Well, you guys are all doing a big Cheltenham Festival preview this coming week for Betfair, where you guys are all going to be giving your each way shouts, your naps, all your fancies for the big races. So listeners, stay tuned for that. That will be dropping this week. And also we'll have some content from Paul Nichols's, which is actually where I am today, giving you some, some of the good stuff over the coming week from here. Um, but Tony, there's a couple of markets up on the Betfair exchange at the moment that we should give a push to. Ireland to train 19 or more Cheltenham winners and the press free cup market. What are we looking at in terms of the prices over there? Uh, well, it's basically each or two, uh, 19 or over. And uh, obviously, if you think last year is going to be replicated, you'd be steaming in, um, you know, at levels. But I, look, one, one way you don't approach that kind of market, you don't go for all 28 races and say, well, I think England are going to win that. I think <laughs> Ireland are going to win that. Because it, it's absolutely nonsensical. And I've heard some people saying that methodology, which is ridiculous. Because, for example, if you think Protectorat is going to win the Gold Cup, you don't mark that down for one for England because you've only got that eight to one chance running for you uh, and maybe raw per guy. So you've only got that 10% chance of being right if the market is correct or 15% of the market is going to be correct. So that's that's the bad way of going about it. You just don't go, oh, what the fuck? fancy that, fancy that. Just look at the races in, in total. If you look at the Gold Cup, for example, you know, they're... 80% plus likely to win that. So you've got to mark that one down for Ireland. So going through them, I just, you know, we could be in a situation where England are 2-0 up um, you know, after two races, quite, quite feasibly. But, um, you know, and then it's, it's so from a trading perspective, you might want to get involved there, but then you've got the champion hurdle third up and Ireland are, you know, 100% likely to win that probably, aren't they? So, um 
I suspect England um, in the handicaps will do a lot better than the last year uh, for reasons we'll come on to. We've got a few questions on that as well. But it's not a market that, uh, that particularly excites me. And obviously, if you have, the money buyers will be out of 109 for Ireland to have, trade more than England. But, you know, good luck if you if you play at those kind of prices. I mean, the guy that normally would be tipping up the 109 is a bit ill this week. So he... Uh, I know, it's <laughs> such a shame. He'd be getting really stuck into that. I was looking up, there's a quite a few other specials on, on the Cheltenham market on the Betfair, Betfair Exchange. And this is the real sign of the times. Willie Mullins is four to six to have over seven winners. And Paul Nichols is nine to four to have over two. So that's a real sign of the times. Willie Mullins, four to six to train seven or more winners. It's probably not a bad price, actually, is it? When you think about it. Yeah, that, that's um, a sign of the times. Kev, do you have any interest in either of these two markets? Do you have any interest in doing a Hugh Carhill and printing some money with the Presbury Cup market? As 10 to 1 on shots go, like it's not a bad one. <laughs> I, don't oh. think, I wouldn't be sweating. I don't think you'd have much of a sweater. Well, maybe you would if, if England go 2 0 up, which, like Tony says, they could well do. But um, there, like, there, there is such strength there. Look, in terms of the, the 19 or more, like they've only done it twice. You know, they did it last year with, with 23 and, and they got. Um, albeit with um, with one less race, I think they got 19 in um, 2017. So, like, it's a punchy number. It's a punchy number. If I had to have a bet, it would be on the UK, to be honest, to, to get their 10 winners. Um, we'll talk about the handicaps in more depth later, but, um, like, the, they... Look, handicaps are funny. Look, uh, if, you, if, if there was 100 handicaps at Cheltenham, I'd be pretty confident that the English are going to win more. But with 10... Or uh, sorry, with nine, you just don't know. You know, funny things can happen. It's a small sample, and uh, you know that's why it's so ridiculous. Which so much stock in the Cheltenham handicaps as being an indicator of the overall levels, you know, between the Irish and the English, because it's a it's a very small sample. Um, but you know, based on what we've seen in the weights, uh, I think the English are going to do perfectly well, and they just need a a little bit of luck and not to bump into you know your Gallop and the Champs types um, with you know twenty pound plus in hand. Um, but yeah, if, if you if you put a gun to my head, it'll be the English in the in the you know to have ten winners at least ten winners. But uh, um, I'd be with the Irish at tens on. I think in the other market. <laughs> okay, fair enough. We'll take that. Um, let's move on to a couple of topics that we all want to talk about this week uh, before listeners' questions, which does touch on a good few. Uh, I think we've got a good few of handicapping questions in there as well to cover. But I joked about it earlier on in the show. But of course, um, Paul Kimmage went again, double trebled down uh, in his latest Sunday Irish Independent article. Well, his column this was. So this was following on from the Stephen Mahan two-part article that we had to endure over the last two weeks. And then essentially, the bottom line is, Kevin, he didn't like what we had to say on this very podcast uh, this time last week. He took offence and he sort of wrote about that offence he had taken rather rudely, I think it's fair to say, in his latest column. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say we were all quite shocked by this latest development. Yeah, well, look, we you know we laughed about it at the start of the show and I've been doing plenty of laughing about it in the last 24 hours. Trust me, with the stick I've been getting over it. But um, look, in seriousness, I, I listened back to what I said last week and like I'm very happy that the observations I made were valid and measured. And look, it goes without saying I stand over all of it. And look, look, I think in due course, when, when Paul looks back on all this, he'll see that he could have dealt with this story differently. And he'll see why the reaction to it has been what it's been. Um, look, I think from the outset, if he laid out 
Stephen Mahan's relevant background, you know, his checkered past with the racing authorities, the law courts, uh, and said very openly, look, this guy clearly is a long, long, long way from a saint, but my investigation has led me to believe that he's been the victim of a miscarriage of justice in the IHRB, and here's that story. I think if he'd done that, this would have played out differently. Um, but look, unfortunately for Paul, he, he chose not to do that, despite the luxury of, you know, four broadsheet pages to do it in, in part one. Uh, and all those deliberate omissions. Uh, and look, we now know there are deliberate omissions because Paul made a point this week of telling us that, you know, three months of research went into the series. So we assume he knew he knew all the background. And um, it's those omissions that, that led to the response to this story becoming more about Stephen Mahan and the unbalanced way that Paul portrayed him rather than what Paul presumably wanted, which was for the reaction to focus on um, alleged corruption in the IHRB. Um, so look, yesterday, Paul tried to put across the point that um, the response that, that that has played out is the product of a, a compliant racing media, uh, an omerta, a surfing of the wagons, which I found like really curious um, because the majority of the, you know, the main voices in the Irish racing media like have been overwhelmingly critical of the IHRB for the last number of years. And like Paul himself even retweeted a few of my columns from the last year where I was heavily critical of the IHRB. So like, I don't think that explanation stands up to scrutiny. And, and look, sometimes, and look, we've all been there, anyone that works in the, in the public eye has been there. Sometimes, rather than lashing out at those that point out your shortcomings, sometimes you have to look in the mirror and see that you're the one largely at fault for something like this not panning out the way you wanted to. Um, I should look, Paul's probably listening to this, and I'm, I'm sure he won't like the sound of that. Um, but look, that's my honest assessment, having been asked for my opinion. And um, sure, look, if he wants to go back on Twitter and call me some more names or, you know, waste another page in a national newspaper having pops at people, um, by all means, kick on. Um, like the schoolyard bully boy tactics might work for him elsewhere, but um, they're not going to make much of an impression on me either way. So sure, look, if it makes him happier about the situation, uh, good for him. Well, look, like you said, you can only be you can only speak your own truth and you can only be honest with your own opinions. And that's exactly what we are on this show, Tony. Um, do you have anything more to add before I think we can put this to bed before the next chapter writes itself? I'm sure this whole story isn't over yet. But for now, can we put this to bed for the time being, Tony? The series of articles have been a bit of a car crash. Really. I mean, I've made no secret of the fact I think there was a story in there to be told. But the yep. way this has been positioned as racing is great, exposed, etc., put him on the back foot straight away because we we know, you know, that how how lawyered up these articles are. If you if you haven't if you haven't got the absolute facts, a hundred percent certain uh, of what you're going to bat with, then it's not going it's not going to see you know the day of light, is it? The light of day, even. And yeah, I mean, I mean, the articles have been lacking. Um, they've been very well. They've been very ill-advised using Stephen Mann. I, you know, I'm I'm of the opinion that you you don't have to be a credible person to be a credible witness. And I've said before about you know whistleblowers down the line have been from the wrong side of the track. So I don't really hold that against him. But nothing that has come up here uh, has, has added anything to proceedings. And, and yesterday was I mean, a stronger sports editor would have turned around to that to that article and chucked it back at him and just saying, "Grow up." And give me a proper article rather than this name calling and uh, and the like like that. It's it's not befitting of any um, uh, leading sports journalist, and uh, I, I'm very surprised that I'm very surprised that made it into print because it you know it, it was basically juvenile. I mean we we all laugh and joke 
but uh, I think the last thing that you can be leveled at, uh, at us in this podcast is, you know, circling the wagons and and, and not speaking our mind on, on controversial issues because that's not what we're about. We're about speaking our mind when others stay quiet. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's a series of ill-advised articles. And if he had another go at it, um, I think he probably, I think he probably uh, relished that. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. It was more of a column you'd expect to see in the Daily Mail rather than the Sunday Independent. But hopefully, like I say, we can just move on from this now. We're not a podcast here to do any mud mud throwing. We're not going to get drawn into any sort of argument. So we said our piece and we'll move on, Paul. Hope you enjoyed listening for the time being. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Sticking with you, Tony. I'm afraid there's a bullet point here on the running order. I have absolutely no idea about. So I'm just going to throw two words at you. Sorry for my ignorance. Don't roll your eyes, listeners. Account balances. Basically, there was a situation whereby over the weekend, some people saw their account balances changing on Betfair overnight. Uh, I'm led to believe it's a very small number of people. They will get worked out in, 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 you know, in, the, in the course of time. Nobody's going to lose out. It was a very small percentage of people. I'm not actually sure why, but these glitches happen occasionally. But don't worry. Uh, it might take a bit of time, but they've been worked through and you won't lose out any money if you were affected by this uh, account balance glitch uh, over the weekend. OK, panic over there then. Let's move on to Cheltenham Exchange Drifters. We've been here before. We'll be here again in the lead up to all big festivals. The latest to drift on the exchange and to come back in was in Nergumine, I believe, um, who had a stone bruise earlier in the week. But then it's come out in the press that actually the drift on the exchange happened a couple of days after he actually had that stone bruise. Kevin, is are we ever going to live in a world where we don't have to put up with these sort of slightly hearsay exchange drifts and of course sometimes they come to fruition but often they don't how do we deal with these going forward um look the the, the, and this relates to what we just spoke about look just never underestimate the capacity for some people in racing to make things up and spread it you know, because like this, this was an incredible hey, example Hey, there's of been this. plenty of rumours about me in the past that haven't been true. And, you know, I'm always surprised by them too, Kevin. Yeah, well, maybe send that anonymous letter to Paul Kimmage. You might print it in a Sunday paper for you. Um, <laughs> I, but... I, should, I should say you started 99% of those, Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> like this was incredible because this drift happened. It happened... Um, the day of the, the at the race of Cheltenham preview we were doing and and we decided beforehand look we're not going to mention this this happens you know a lot you know we're not going to create panic over this and we got a whole load of tweets afterwards saying you know, you know was this preview pre-recorded how could you not mention the giant drift on an ergamine mm. and I, like like I had texts from two people who were, who would be informed you know saying that um, an ergamine is currently in the Troytown Veterinary Clinic like he's 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 out he's gone. Like, when's this story going to break? You know, which proved to be, you know, so far from the truth. Um, but but this but this is just what happens. Like, people will sometimes just make things up. Um, and it'll spread to people who believe it. And they will spread it on from thereafter. And markets react and things snowball. Um, so, lads, look, just, you know, I know Cheltenham's one thing. But just in general, just have a bucket of salt beside you yeah. when, you're, when, you're, when you're reading your WhatsApps and, and your social media. Because, you know, look, sometimes it proves to be, there proves to be, you know, an underlying reason why it's happened. But just have the bucket of salt there, lads, because a lot of the time um, it, this is just absolute rubbish, um, often spread by people with, with, with vested interests who kind of maybe want a bigger price about a horse if you want to be cynical. Yeah, but there's, there's a grain of strength. I mean, obviously, 
the energamine drift was because he, he did have a stone bruise. So they're clearly... It was the previous week, I think, though, Tony, that he had, they actually had the bruise. I, well, it was too, these things take a while to come out. But obviously, at the time of the drift, presumably, he was still... Um, you know, he was still under a cloud, very similar to Allegory de Vassi. They thought they had a stone bruise and, you know, it took a while to come out and, and have the bone scans, etc. So, So we shouldn't dismiss these drifts in all of things. But one thing that really, really kind of like uh, amuses me in all these things, about, oh, you know, the horse drifted out um, 21 to 1, etc. If you put up an order to back a Nergamine at 22, how are you going to get matched? You're going to get matched because there's a rumour. So in all of these things, in a, in a liquid market. So in all of these things, you know, if you put up a back to back a horse, a high profile horse at four times the price he's currently trading at, and you get matched, you know, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't, you should, you should know it comes with a caveat. Then you know, you only get it, get a match if there's if there's you know if there's a rumours or there's a problem involved. So it, yeah, it's 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 a it's a scenario that always amuses me. People never say never think to say, well, why are you trying to back it at twenty to one plus then? <laughs> uh, Tony, have, the, have, have these ex- just a quick personal question out of pure interest has the have these drifts on the exchanges been worse this year than other years are, are we experiencing more of them now or is this much the same um we referenced the john bond one i was told i was told the on the friday uh before uh nikki was uh, nikki was asked about on the saturday i was told that john bond wasn't right didn't work and then you got rumors come out on the saturday saying actually um he worked actually brilliantly with Epitont. Uh, and another rumour is that uh, uh, Nicky came out and said he couldn't have worked any any better. Uh, so uh, you've had journey with me drifting for, for no other reasons. It's like there's so much going on at the moment. And there's always yeah. there's always wild drifts. I, I always remember in my Betfair days when I was uh, in Barry's role now, when Binocular drifted to a thousand uh, on the exchange, <laughs> falling out of the race. And then, lo and behold, a couple of months later, you know, shits up in the champion hurdle after trading yeah. at the maximum price. So kicking, kicking king, another one. Yeah, in a thousand, oh, I think. There's so many the there. You know, they come back from the dead, as it were. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think you, you think you, you you take it with a pinch of salt. But I mean, you know, if, if people people leave orders up at outlandish prices, then you know, and get matched, they're only going to get matched if they're. If basically the horse they think is out of the race, but no, yeah. it's, it happens every year. So silly okay. season every year. But there was, like I said, with Allegory de Bassi and with an Ergamine drift, they had there was a seed of seed of truth in it. Okay, pinch of salt needed anyway. I think it can be fair bucket to say, or a bucket, as Kevin puts it. <laughs> um, Tony Calvin, talk to us about this late this tote story. Yeah. I must admit, I've not been across this, but I know you have. I think we expected this to be a bigger story or picked up maybe more in the press than it has been. Um, but can you outline what's going on here with this tote situation? Yeah, my, my ears were pricked up last week when Greg Wood wrote an article about, about the tote uh, seeding their own markets. Now, they made, they made no secret of the fact uh, that they do that because... As we all know, with exchanges, you know, exchanges have seeded their own markets in the past because liquidity bees liquidity. So I haven't got anything against that. But I read, I read Greg's piece, um, and he was clearly being teed up by somebody in the know. And I just thought, you know, this is a, this is a decent story because he asked questions about how much are they seeding. He was making inferences about, you know, are they making a lot of money by 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 this seeding. So I, I thought I read that last Tuesday and I retweeted it and two or three people got in touch with me. One of the people gave me some real detailed information, you know, 
tracking data and such like that. So I, I thought it was a given that, um, you know, the, the racing media would pick it up. But clearly the tote have got a lot of advertorial deals and they do a lot of stuff. So so maybe people didn't want to, you know, tread on tread on the financial tote. So basically what I did, um, I contacted Susanna Gill, who's the, the head of uh, PR for the tote, uh, old colleague of mine at Betfair, and I asked her uh, nine I thought pertinent follow-up questions. So this probably doesn't work very well in a podcast format. It probably works better in an editorial written manner. But uh, basically what I'll do now, I'll read out the questions, that the follow-up questions I, I've given to her uh, and just read out her answers. Now, some are very lawyered. Some are were some of the questions I asked were quite pointed and commercially sensitive, but I asked them anyway. Um, and fair play to them. Uh, Susanna came back and answered them all, like I say, in, in various manners. And, and these are the answers I've got. So very quickly, I put my glasses on and I'll read the question and the answer. Uh, it won't take too long, so bear with us. Uh, the first question I asked is, what percentage are you of the various pools that you're active in, in the UK and worldwide, should you not display this in all markets? Because there was some suggestions they were, they were playing massively and late. Uh, and the answer was, we only see UK, toti- uh, UK to- hosted pools where we see the need to increase pool depth, stability and attractiveness. We do not sk- uh, see the scoop sick or jackpot. Um, second question, given you also run pools and Irish racings, which are generally weaker than UK's, are you seeding to equivalent levels there? And the answer surprised me because I was led to believe that they did. We don't currently but we would like to see the Irish pools too, as it would help make the pools more attractive and therefore viable in the long term. Though we operate the pool, that would be a decision for Tote Island and we're in constant communication around the various options. Again, uh, two of the three people contacted me thought they would uh, were active in the Irish pools, but that's not the case. Um, this, was the, this was the real kind of like uh, bugbear of many people. So I asked this following question. At what stage do you place the majority of your bets into the place for? The suggestion has been made. It is very late, seemingly backed up by tracking data I have seen. You seem to be nearly doubling pools after everyone has bet in order to maximise profits rather than shore up pools. Uh, they came back and said the About Us page on the Tote website has information about PGS, that's a, uh, a guaranteed uh, pool from the Tote, operates, including when bets are shown in the graph on the page. Obviously, we can't show the graph now. But you go back and look at that page, it does show you a lot of information about that. Um, number four, as Greg Wood queried, why does a Cheltenham Festival place spot even need in-house seeding? Would you, will you be playing in these pools with one or two minutes to go at the festival next week? As set out above, we operate in the four-hour window before the scheduled off. In all of our customer research, the one thing that came out over and over again was the bigger pool sizes uh, the more attractive they are to customers. Larger headline pools allow for bigger headline grabbing dividends especially in the place spot, which remains the most popular tote bet. The pools, including the place spot, were seeding externally before we bought the tote, but that is not ideal for the many reasons, as Jamie and John mentioned on a podcast. And again, there's a podcast there that you can go to. Uh, that is true, because I know of people who've got big kickbacks uh, uh, and, and rates uh, returns for, for actually getting involved in that market. The, if the tote are doing it, fine. I would personally would like more transparency about it, but they've answered all the questions. Uh, I asked these questions on the back of, um, so rumour was going around. So I asked, do you pay levy and gross profits tax on your winnings? Uh, very lawyer answer this one, uh, but fair play to answering it. I didn't think they would. The tote pays levy and tax as required, like any other betting operator, full stop. Are the winnings used to cover your commendable commitment to massive industry SP plus a 10% bonus? 
Um, again, this, this, this was a decent answer. Um, we do not win in the long term. The, we suggest that they do win on occasions. Uh, the manner of which and the extent of which are, you know, to, are probably commercially sensitive, like I said. The only returns come from the commission generated by all of the turnover into the pool. We then use all returns for the tote guarantee, uh, tote plus the 10% dividend on, on tote.co.uk, guaranteeing the £10,000 jackpot every day. And any other customer in initiatives, we want to introduce the pool to make it more attractive. Are you happy that your terms and conditions fully cover and itemise your involvement in all markets? And were the other major liquidity providers informed your seeding levels? Basically, yes. See the press release. Uh, and I had a look and they have been upfront about that. Again, the extent is the question. Are the government bodies you deal with globally and their customers fully aware of your activity and it's timing into the markets? Is it legal in these uh, jurisdictions? Yes, the Gambling Commission have approved us and we operate under their guidance. And finally, do you plan to make your involvement clear, including the volume of when the seeding is placed in all markets as transparency is obviously key to betters? Uh, as per question three. So that is a rather long-winded say. I know a way of, of dealing with it, but there was another better way to do it. I just thought it was a, a very interesting article that needed more clarification. We got that there. I'm sure there's more questions to ask, but I know a few people have been asking me about it because I did uh, I did say that on, on Twitter I would follow up, and I have done, and we'll go from there maybe. But, yeah, I, I've got no problem with seeding as per, per se, but... Um, and fair play to them for giving the answers. I'd like a bit more clarity and some more transparency, but uh, no, uh, they were pretty full answers. Yeah, good on you for following it up. Bit of proper journalism there, and good on Susanna Gill and Tote for giving the answers they gave. Uh, right. There is probably more to come on this story, which yeah, of course... I like to say it's. I, I think you know they could. Yeah, I think they could bring it forward. But yeah, the fair play yeah. to everyone involved. Yeah. More to come, potentially. Let's move on then to listeners' questions. We've got plenty of them. Um, big one that's been in the press this week, courtesy of Nikki Henson's comments, was a five-day Cheltenham Festival being voiced again. We've been here before. And Pi B. McGinty, olden but still important, in brackets, well, at least, well, to me at least, and definitely permanent given this time pertinent given this time of year what can the racing public do do to ensure the festival doesn't go to five days i'm a member and i'll relinquish my badge if that happens i know they don't care though kevin is the five-day festival imminent coming our way look you'd hope not you'd hope not look this you know we've been talking about this for years and like it's just it's not universally unpopular but you know it's heavily unpopular like anytime anyone runs a poll in this you know, to a racing audience, it tends to be kind of 80, 20, 80, 85, 15 against the fifth day. Um, but look, you're fighting against, I suppose, you know, commercial attractiveness, commercial realities. If they put on a fifth day, would it sell out? Probably. Um, so that reality makes the possibility of it happening kind of ever present. And But I think now it would just be, it would just be such a cynical thing to do right now, you know, given this year, you know, when entry levels have been so much lower, you know, last year with a record number of odds on favourites at the meeting, like it would be, it would be viewed as an incredibly cynical thing to do. But look, you know, we're only a couple of weeks removed from the, the jockey club, you know, signing up and um, signing the deal they did with, um, with the, what did the right term be for that company? Um, um, Tony with the, with the for the Cheltenham teams, uh, slot machines, etc. You know, you, oh, we're in, yeah, yeah, you know, we're, we're in cynical times when there's been decisions like that made. 
um, you know, with, with, with you know, where financial benefit is coming first, you know, you would fear it might happen. You play a tech, I think that might be it, you know, open to yeah. correction. Um, so you, you would be worried it would happen. What would it look like? Um, a car crash, I'd say, um, in terms of, you know, for us that want Cheltenham to be, you know, the championships of national hub racing rather than just a really good meeting with lots of good races, but also loads of, you know, shoulder races, um, filling, filling up the gaps, you know. Yeah. Um, it's, the debate's not going away. Like it is inevitable, but hopefully, it hold common sense for people. Well, big man, big man, John Mulby stunt double, and Stuart Akers are on the same wavelength here, Tony. With Will yeah. Hendo coming out and saying a fifth day would be fine. How do the fans stop it? Would a petition work to reflect the views of racing fans? Does anyone will that ever make any difference? And Stuart says after Henderson coming out so publicly about a five day festival, it's happening basically, isn't it? What races do the panel think will be added? God knows. I, I think uh, we're not going to go down the races. Uh, Mayor's yeah. cross-country chase. Yeah. But Come on. Big Yan, yeah. Mulby, Big Yan Mulby stunt double is my favourite Twitter handle because uh, it's obviously, if you're a football, I'm not a football fan, but even I've heard of Yan Mulby. Um, I, look, I think it's inevitable. Um Money talks, and I, look, I think I think they're going to go down the Saturday route, aren't they? Um, whether or not it'll be, I don't think it'll be popular with the press. Uh, I was going to ask a question because obviously Galway and the likes, you know, drag on for ages, don't they? Is that popular with the media over there or the journalists? Um, like people will mention Galway, they they mention Pontchartrain. Like Galway isn't really a fair comparison because I, like Galway has a couple of good races, like a couple of very valuable handicaps. You know, a stakes race on the flat, but it doesn't pretend to be a championships. You know, it's very much a, a socially driven meeting that's hugely popular with race goers. No one goes there expecting to see champions. Everyone kind of goes in there with their eyes open. Um, and does it drag on? Does it last? I think it's fine. It's, it's been like that for a long time. Um, you know, it ties in with the locality with other other, other um, festivals going on the week before, and it, it seems to work. It seems to work, and they get big audiences through the week. Um, like Punchestown is probably the applicable comparison um, because that we is... We all run you know, out of enthusiasm for Punchestown by the Saturday, Kevin. I can't... It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a very long week. Five, five or six days. Um, five, Tuesday and Saturday. Um, and look, a, a comparable number of grade ones, um, you know, minus, I suppose, an English challenge, um, lots of handicaps, bank races. Um, look, it, for me, it's too long. You, you'd like it to be a bit more condensed. Um, but it works fine. They get crowds, but but again, Punchestown isn't billed as as the meeting like Cheltenham is. Like Cheltenham, I've been saying it for so long, is in an incredibly privileged position to be the focus point of this sport, and you know they could do so much more with it. And I know you look back and everyone harks back to the old days, but the three day festival really was very close to being perfect, really, in terms of a championship of national hunt racing that also catered to one level down. Um, so, look, I, I don't. I, I think as racing fans who clearly don't want this, I don't think we should go down the road of being resigned to it being inevitable. Because if we do that, then it will happen. You know, I think we have yeah. to keep rearing up. If we don't want this to happen, we have to keep rearing up um, as best yeah. we can. And it might just delay it a while. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We need to keep pushing back, guys. The pushback is on. Uh, Protests on the streets, lads. Get the placards yeah. out. <laughs> okay, we've got a few other. Uh, listeners questions for the festival specifically slabber has said 
Of all the people on the many Cheltenham preview panels, who do you guys each think provides the best insider info and should be listened to the most apart from yourselves? Hugh, I'll just replace Hugh with Vanessa because that is absolutely <laughs> correct, Slava. Uh, quick one word answer from you, Kevin. Um, I always enjoy Jamie Codd. I think he he, Jamie he, Codd. he he brings a good insight and can can deliver it in, a, in quite an entertaining way too. So yeah, and from you, Tony, is there anyone that you listen to out there on these Cheltenham Festival previews? Oh, not really. But apparently, um, I probably shouldn't say this actually. Apparently, Bill Bill Esdale was quite good off air. Oh, very yeah. good, good info. So if you get, he, does, he doesn't do it. He doesn't mention any of the juicy stuff actually on the panels, and I think that's I think that's true <laughs> of most of them, isn't it? It's it's just. Right. Just the asides off air, isn't it? The, the, the Excellent. Bit. Yeah, well, that, that's what it's all about on this show, too. We keep all the good stuff. We don't really. <laughs> we don't really. Adam has said, so many talk about dilution at the festival and should only have two and three mile races, but aren't a lot of horses best trip two and a half miles? Alaho, Vator, Faka Dideris, etc. Also, the same people crabbing this are saying Gallopin de Champs is a two and a half miler and they don't want to bottom him out for a potential Gold Cup next year. I think Adam is aiming this at you, Kevin. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> you know, if, yeah, if, if, you if, if you give the option, start him, if you start him off, it'll be in there, it'll be still doing this ten minutes later. Yeah, but look, all I say, say is before the Ryanair chase was there. Like if you felt really strongly, your horse was a two and a half miler. You waited for the Melling chase at Aintree. You know that that's just the way it went, and that's the way it goes with the two and a half mile hurdles as well. If you feel really strongly about it, you, you know you wait for the entry hurdle. Um, yeah. Look, if you make if you give the options there, if you gave it a, a two mile, two mile, two, two mile four, two mile six, three mile option, um, there'd be plenty to feel like they're doing the right thing by their horse by going two two or two six. You know, so you give the options and people will take them. But that's the point. If you don't give them the options, uh, they'll um, they, they'll have to try different things with their horses, and they'll probably find out that they're just fine in a lot of cases. Uh, Gaz Buckley says, traditions aside, do you think there should be races confined for amateur jockeys at the Cheltenham Festival? Yes, Gaz, I do. I think that adds something to the festival. Interesting uh, James- chat, that. The, the, the whole amateur rider question now, and it's a massive hornet's nest if you want to kick it. But if you if, again, if you're an alien and you flew down to earth and looked at this great sport horse race, and like the whole concept of amateur races, in, in general, never mind at the biggest meetings, it, it's a bit perverse, isn't it? You know, oh, it's, a, oh. it's, it's a bit like giving the Sunday League a chance to run out of Old Trafford there every so often. You know, it just it doesn't make sense. I know it adds to Don't they call it the FA Cup? You know, <laughs> like, like, the, this- like uh, the amateurs, like, uh, like I, and I'm not terribly comfortable with the amateur system the way it is because you clearly have, you know, four or five lads who, who are good enough to be, you know, good professionals. And, you know, especially in Ireland, they're, they're rumbling around there in the bumpers. Um, you know they have a they have almost have a, a, a you know a monopoly on the best rides. You know for genuine young people that are using the amateurs as a springboard. You know it's very very tough on them because they can't get a, a realistic chance in a bumper. You know like all the, the, the likes of Cod and Mullins and Derek O'Connor uh, like they're all they're all you look, know, especially Derek and Cod like they'd be, they'd be, they'd be good pros. You Look, know. there's lo- there's loads of parts parts of our sport that don't make any sense at all <laughs> to the alien coming down from the sky, and amateurs at the Cheltenham Festival are low on the list of things to worry about. Would be my <laughs> True view. Enough, but yeah. let's move on, James. Because look. Hugh Kyle does a good job of rattling through these questions because you boys make it hard work. James, no, one, one line is from, from, from now on. Bar- Bar- okay, Barry's, okay. Barry's not giving us the the, the twirly on, fingers yeah. yet. Oh, was that my point? Was dancing. Yeah. <laughs> right, Gaz Buckley. Uh, no, James Wright. In advance of the festival offers, what's best? More places or better terms? Other words, do you take 
quarter of the prize four places or a fifth five places, for example? Tony? Uh, all depends on the shape of the race. What I normally do is, if I can, do, I normally um, I normally split them into both markets, but it all depends on what prices are available and you know how, how advantageous the extra places are. But I, I do tend to try and split them just in case they do finish fifth and you're kicking yourself for not taking the uh, the extra insurance. Okay, uh, David Skelton totally agree that races at the festival should be given anchor names. Which legendary horses should the two and a half and three mile novice chasers be named after? Loving the pod, have a great chant. And thank you, David. We will have a great chant. And well done for listening. Got no idea who they should be named after. Uh, it's a tricky Connor one, you, know, you want sponsors to get value, like, but maybe, uh, beggars, maybe beggars can't be choosers here, but you'd love to have them locked in for a certain period. So at least it's not changing every year. I don't know, five year deals or what have you. But maybe that's asking a bit much now in, in a in a sponsorship market that maybe there might not be loads of lads jumping up and down to sponsor these races. Right. Yeah, well, if Hugh was here, he'd be banging on about vegan sausage rolls at Greg. <laughs> um, Connor Mahan, uh, we've got a couple of handicapping related questions here. Connor has asked, there's obviously a concerted effort by the UK handicapper to reduce the ridiculous ratings that have been built up over the years. This could skew the handicaps in favour of UK this year. How long will it take to equalise? It could mean Irish outnumber uh them in some races this year well that has been covered on the pod in the past and daniel hodges said with the new handicapping way by the british by the english handicapper what are your views on if we will get closer to the irish this year and if we still get whitewashed by the irish will all the lenient marks give given i think it's meant to say do you see any other things that can be done with the handicapping system well this is a rabbit hole you guys but we have touched upon these issues on the pod in the past and kevin has done some pretty strong work on the handicapping system and the ratings that have been given and you can check that out on some of his blogs so um, boys i'm just pushing that towards other content basically yeah. uh david barry do the panel yet concede that nikki henson's horses are below par even for february 4th Form, Tony. That's that was aimed at you. That's, I thought that was a dig at you because you dismissed it. To a I did. I really shot that down. I, yeah. I was that uh, last week. I think it really, Memory, lads. <laughs> it, it was. It would worry you. Um, people just saying, "Oh, it's you know, it's 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 not the big guns, etc." But you know, they not only been not been finishing their, their races off, they haven't really been finishing. The, the the percentage number of these horses have been pulled up recently. Uh, you know, the high profile ones, you wouldn't have thought Bouvardier would have been sent to Kelso massively undercooked, and he ran no kind of race off a off a relatively uh, lowly handicap mark. So it would worry me. Yeah, like look, okay. everyone made a big deal about with Paul Nichols three weeks ago. Less so with Henderson, but I think it's it's equally more worrying because it's so close to the festival. So, yeah, it would concern me. Yeah, and Jay Quilly has followed that up with, Hi, Tony, what are the chances? Henderson pulls a few of his big guns out of the festival at the final hour, considering dreadful stable form. Hopefully, he won't be doing that. Sean Sexton has asked, Why is no respect shown to put the kettle on? Won an Arkel as the rank outsider and last year's champion chase beating Shaq and Poursois. Jumped beautifully both times. This is her course and her time of year. Sean in Liverpool. Well, Sean, I, I do respect her and she's a spring horse, all right, but her form this season has been somewhat disappointing. Pointing. Paul Sweeney, think it's great that Cheltenham have named a race in support of the charity appeal for Ukraine. Is there anything else racing can do at the festival to show support? Maybe jockeys wearing armbands of Ukraine flags, for instance. Well, we've seen that already from jockeys so far this week. Um, Kevin, we you pleased with this development? Re the race being named after the charity appeal for the Ukraine? 
Um, we should look if it helps raise money. You know, money can do some good. Um, you know, I, I don't want to sound cynical now, but all this crack of you know people changing their profile photos to Ukraine flags, and then I don't know who, who's who that's helping really. You know, if you want to, um, if you want to help, you know, there's plenty of charity. You know, there's loads of charity drives here locally in Tipperary. You know, loading up trucks and stuff to to go down to. Um, the Ukraine and neighboring countries to help the people affected by it. You know, I, I'd be a bigger believer in, you know, doing something material rather than gestures myself, but um, each to their own. Um, ultimately. I, I would agree. I just come back to put the kettle on. Surely, looking at that mayor's race, how that's going to cut up, they might be tempted to go down the longer route with the mayor's chase. Yeah, I think he confirmed the champion chase the other day, which I, yeah, like, I like you now. I was just wondering, God, would they would they be tempted? There is, uh, there is. I can't. I, I couldn't even get anywhere near it. But there's some sixteen to one non one no bet putting the kettle on for the mayor's chase. Should probably be about a four to one poke. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, I could see her bouncing back. Like, um, I, I th- like I think we, we made a lot of a Henry's stable farm there over Christmas and January. I, I actually had a, had a good dive into the numbers um, for Betfair there, and the the, sub, the consequent article is up on the the betting website. It's quite interesting. Um, like Henry, like massive dip in in December. Um, January was not too bad, but February was quite strong. He's, he had the strongest February for the last number of years, you know, including last year, which obviously built to an incredible Cheltenham. So I think whatever hump there was, it, it looks like he's certainly pushing through it and um, might well be peaking uh, come the most, the most important four days. Yeah, we can look forward to that. Let's keep rattling on. Uh, Anthony Ryan has asked, why can't the TV channels come to agreement over coverage of away meetings during the two big festivals, give each other the other meetings? Both channels gain and viewers get more coverage. It would make sense, Anthony, oh. but essentially they hate each other. That's never going to happen. <laughs> um, it's pl- just a massive bugbear of mine. I mean, like no, I said, honesty is the best policy, they Kevin. So they won't cooperate. <laughs> uh, well, imagine, like, again, what about our little alien? If he came down, <laughs> so British and Irish racing, we have two individual channels that don't get on, they won't share footage with each other. You know, they both have the, 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 these websites and it's uh, just, it makes now, look, no look, sense. And got, we know why it is, but it's yeah, just, it was it's one of these many frustrations. Stage. Yeah. It's got to a desperate <laughs> stage. The final fence has asked of the current favourites for the Cheltenham Festival, which would be your banker and lay of the festival? Well, final fence, I'm going to divert you to all the Betfair preview shows that are coming up. The boys are on a detailed one and I'm doing one with Paul Nichols shortly, hence why I'm rattling through all of this. Uh, Doko has asked, can we get huge price blind accumulated for the festival? We don't want value, we want winners. Well, luckily... Basically, if it's odds on, just add it to the list. Yeah, and, and luckily for all of us, he's not here he's in his sick bed so good luck to him with all those price blind bets actually actually, we did have a fives on poke beaten in ireland yesterday (laughs) (laughs) you can just imagine him boys can't you he's in his sick bed there and he's just punting his life away responsible camera he would never have one on a loser yeah, bet responsibly, everyone. Bet responsibly. Um, Rich has asked, uh, are we already seeing the impact of BHA handicappers lowering beaten horses more quickly? Dollars, Captain or Paint the Dream, recent examples of reversing previously exposed marks. We probably are, aren't we, Kevin? No, Matt, yeah, very much so. More, more so over hurdles than fences. Um, but it's, it's you know, happening. We can see it when we, you know, I know we've talked about it anecdotally all season, but, you know, I did dive into those numbers for that at the races piece. You mentioned about the weight, so you can find more detail yeah. there, but it's it's a measurable thing for sure. 
Uh, Jeremy James probably being done to death, but races run with fences slash hurdles taken out for low sun. Surely they could run them earlier, or is it TV that is stopping them? I guess it is the TV and the low sun predicament rolls on. Richard, you know, it's, you know, it's just brilliant that, it, that you know the sun wasn't there for racing. You know, going back decades, you know, and it never had this issue back then. It was very convenient that the sun never came out uh, never, back then. Never. But there you go. Always seems to be out now. Uh, Richie has asked, because they're not entitled to percentage, do the top an- amateurs charge owners to ride their horses, Kev? <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't dare speculate now. I wouldn't want oh, to get come the ta- on, I, speculate. I wouldn't, want, I, I wouldn't want to get the tax man in anyone's trail, but you can take a wild guess and probably get it right. <laughs> I, reckon, I reckon they will charge four figures. <laughs> yeah. Um, Paul Smith has asked, thoughts on the ride Get a Tonic at Doncaster on Saturday. Jay Mangan touched on it briefly on ITV, but it looked an absolute shocker. It shouldn't be as a sport shouldn't we as a sport be looking to get the post-race thoughts of the jockey slash trainer to try and explain these odd slash poor rides? This is actually something that was brought up in an earlier podcast a good few weeks ago now. Tony, uh, what how what was it about this ride that was so well, bad? Basically, uh, it's a quite a tricky ride, strong traveller, a bit keen, but when come to uh, came to make a challenge and veered across, right across the track, probably the best horse in the race. Yeah, I mean, it's a kind. I mean, it was a it was a big drifting favourite. There's no untowardness about it. It was just the the ride. Just you know, it, yeah. Maybe needs stronger handling. I don't know. The horse, you know, something could have happened with the horse. But uh, and Paul, to well, add well, to well, that, well, yeah, I've I've said in the past that you know it'd be nice. It's not always uh, the intel you want after the race just to hear from the winning rider because that's a pretty standard interview. Sometimes it would be good to hear from place riders, but we are yet to get into that place when it comes to broadcasting on the telly in racing uh sam tm has asked is some kind of circuit breaker suspension of betting on an individual horse or even entire market when a significant drift occurs or there is large change in volume on lay side either possible or desirable in big anti-post markets tony it's an interesting one because fixed odds firms would do that uh, if they were seeing uh, a weight of money for opposition or one particular horse um, in a market, but no, I don't think you can. The, the whole ethos of an exchange is if you're not happy with the current price, you put a price up, and if you get matched for whatever reason, you get matched. So, um, look, like I said before, if, if, you, if you're putting up to back in Mergham even at 20 to 1, there's a reason why you're going to get matched, and it's probably because it's not going to run or it's because there's a rumor about it. But sometimes, as with Mergamine, it works in your favor. Yeah. So, no, yeah. I don't think that's workable. Um- uh, I, I don't know if the, if the question just related solely to anti-post markets, but I know that, uh, you know, on day of the race, like there's been plenty of cases where if a horse has like, drifted aggressively, like the, the relevant team is marketing the exchanges, will set will ring up the stewards at the track. This has happened both in the UK and Ireland, and they will literally go and talk to the connections of the horse and say, hey, look, just to make you aware, like this horse has drifted aggressively and we're keeping a close eye on everything, you know, which I think is a good way of dealing with it. Yeah. Um, Sean Hill, I guess this is in relation a little bit, well, to the low sun comments we made earlier too. If a trainer pulled a horse down at the start, if say only jumping six out of eight obstacles, would he or she be fined? Surely not, given the race conditions have changed, but suspect they would be fine. That's an interesting question, Sean. Yeah, Yeah. uh, Kev, do you have the answer on that? I assume they would be fined. I don't have the answer, but I'd be be amazed if they didn't. You know, you there can be some some pretty spicy fines for late withdrawals, you know, that don't have a, a justifiable reason. Would that count as a justifiable reason? Ooh, 
Fair play to the rules if it accounts for it. It's a bit of a quirky one. But, yeah. Probably yes. I mean, that's a brilliant question. I'd, I'd like to. Ask, I might ask the BHA that. Yeah. Uh, Adrian Dower has asked, is there a difference between non-runner no bet and non-runner money back? Seeing a lot more non-runner money back advertised lately. Is that just different wording or what's I think not uh, to the to the you know to the uninitiated and the you know the the anymore inexperienced non-runner money back is more it just makes more sense to them. Okay. Um, Matthew Lean, thank you for your question. That was what uh, Tony answered earlier in regards to um, account balances, Betfair account balances, Betfair customers. So thank you, Matthew Lean, for that. And hopefully we answered that accordingly. Niall Bambrick has asked, would love to get Kev's thoughts on the 10.42 at Gulfstream last night. A lengthy bound for jockey Paco Lopez surely awaits very lucky there was no one seriously injured. As I don't watch Gulfstream at 10.42 at night <laughs> on a Sunday, I missed this. Uh, Tony did actually send the Twitter clip into our group, but I was driving, so I have not seen this, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 look, it was one of those with um, interference took place um, and it had some very kind of graphic consequences. A couple of horses coming down, really ugly falls. Um, very lucky no one was 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 really badly hurt. Um but and look, obviously, I haven't seen all the angles, but it looks like there was a um, a riding offence, and I'm sure there will be a ban. But um, you don't have to go all the way to Gulfstream. You'll see similar interference to that, like all the time in Ireland and the UK. Um, it doesn't always, uh, well, I suppose, it rarely produces as dramatic a consequence, but that doesn't make it any less of an offence. But um, we have a very, very laid back attitude to interference in the UK and Ireland, as we know. But uh, I know Tony won't want me going down that bunny hole because I'll talk ten minutes on no, that. No, one no, well. no, no, just, just very, very quick. Yeah, I know it was precedent. Sam Tristan Davis pretty much admitted he, you know, he he carved up the runner, uh, the runner up in the when winning the Grimthorpe on Saturday. So again, it's all about it's all about you know if the second have come down, we'd all be up in arms. But that's mm. the point Kevin's trying to make. It will take something dramatic for for us to do anything about it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's squeeze in one more question and then the rest we're going to have to answer on next week's pod because I unfortunately am running out of time. I only have two minutes left. Uh, so just one from Paul regards to Coolmore. Coolmore had grade one and two winners at Santa Anita this weekend, both trained by Bob Baffert. Do you think this means Coolmore is confident Bob is clean or is it an example of of oblivience to Bob's medication infringements, e.g. Kentucky Derby? Uh, Kevin? Um, look, Bob has a license, you know, all his infractions have been well established. Um, yeah. And it's ultimately their decision if they want to have horses with him or not. And they're, they're happy to have horses with him, it seems. Absolutely. Um, look, guys, Chris, Liam D, Everything Racing and Sam Carter, thank you so much I'll for your answer, questions. I'll answer those on Twitter now. There you go. Tony kindly put you on the list and they're good questions, but unfortunately I have run out of time. Um, before we go, get well soon, Hugh. Don't forget all the Betfair Cheltenham preview content is coming your way this week. The Paul Nichols preview will be airing with me and Dave Orton on Tuesday evening and the Tipsters preview is airing on Wednesday with the boys. So plenty to get stuck into. Loads of tips coming your way. Thank you as always for listening. Uh, that was weighed in.